That was good. Enjoy the sing, the singing about heaven. I love to preach about heaven. I love to think about heaven. But today, I got to talk about the other place. In Luke 16, Jesus teaches uh, through a parable about two men who were in dramatic contrast. A contrast in their lives, a contrast in their death, and a contrast regarding their eternal abode. This passage in Luke 16 also reveals the grim reality of eternal punishment. We don't like to think about hell, and frankly, folks, I don't like to preach about hell. But obedience to the Scripture forces us to deal with and be warned about the place called hell. Luke 16, I'm going to read verses 19 to 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now... He is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abram, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Father, I pray that today, Lord, as we look at this serious subject, that God, you would press the reality of this place on someone's heart today who came into this assembly and is not sure if their soul is right with you. Oh God, may your spirit have freedom to work in a powerful way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was this rich man. The Bible says he was clothed in purple. Now, to us, that might not seem like a big deal, but purple was a very expensive dye, and only royalty and rich people wore purple and fine linen garments. 
And the Bible says that this man fared sumptuously every day. What that means is that he ate well every day. It was like going to a feast at his house every day. And most of the average people, all they had to eat was bread and soup and fruit. But this guy, and if you would go to a feast, it would be like a reserve for going to a wedding. But this guy had enough money and enough uh, servants to eat like a, a banquet every day of his life. And he had a gate because the, the, the beggar was put at his gate. That indicates that he lived in a gated house. There was a fence around his place. So he could shut out the rest of the world, especially the poor and the needy. Well, that was the rich man. There was another man introduced here. His name was Lazarus. And he was a beggar clothed in rags instead of uh, purple and fine linen. He was laid at the rich man's gate, probably because he was not able to walk. He was full of sores. Maybe he was crippled or disabled and he was a beggar. And all that beggars had to live on back in that day was the largesse or the, the generosity of rich people. So his friends brought him to this rich man's gate, and he was outside the gate, and perhaps he could see in at this man's faring sumptuously every day, and he saw the crumbs falling off the table. And he said, if only I could eat the crumbs off the table. It would be like today going to a purse, a back of a restaurant and doing a little dumpster diving. And this man was not even allowed to have the rich man's scraps. He didn't even give him the leftovers. And also... It says the dogs came and licked his sores. Now let me indicate to you today that the kind of dogs that we have in our house, our little pets, are not like the ones in the Bible times. They did not have pet dogs so much because these were, these were like wild animals, not the cuddly puppies, but wild scavengers of the streets. And these dogs were not doing him any favors. They were nosing him, licking him, perhaps even tasting him. In other scriptures, dogs were said to eat the dead bodies. So perhaps like a pack, these uh, dogs approached him and he had to fight them off every day. You can't get a greater contrast in life. Rich, poor, full, hungry, healthy, disabled. But there was also a contrast in death. The Bible says that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. This is a description. It's a place where the Old Testament righteous believers went after death. Even though this beggar didn't have very much in this, this life, he was a believer in God we do not know what happened to this beggar's body. He was probably put in a pauper's grave. Uh, one translation of the scripture says that he was carried back home by the angels, his real home. He was carried to that place of paradise where the righteous would go. He went to what we would call heaven. But the rich man died. And the Bible says... Only one thing, 
he was buried. Perhaps he had a lavish funeral with an elaborate tomb, but the greatest contrast we see is that while Lazarus was in comfort and joy and delight in the afterlife, this rich man was, in verse 23, and being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The word Hades is used here. It's a Greek word that's often translated hell. It's used 11 times in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, the Septuagint used Hades to translate the Hebrew word Sheol, which was called the place of the dead. But here, Hades refers to the abode of the unsaved dead prior to the great white throne judgment. In other words, this is literally hell. Let's examine his abode as the Bible paints a picture a little bit of what that place is like. So first of all, what kind of place is this place that the scriptures call hell? First of all, hell is a place of uninterrupted consciousness. Hell is a real place. Hell is the one doctrine that if man could change anything, that's the one that he would change. Some try to change the doctrine of hell. They say that hell means annihilation. It means just poof. You cease to exist. You go out in nothingness. You're gone. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses teach, that man will be cast into hell. But then death will soon come after they're cast into hell and they're just gone. Mormonism teaches that all will eventually be released and not suffer eternal punishment. Christian science teaches that hell is just a state of your mind. Some say that what the Bible says about hell is purely symbolic. Not getting it as good as those who go to heaven. That's what they think that hell would be like. A place to party with your friends. My friend, when the Bible uses symbolic language, it does so to describe things that are indescribable to our human minds. In other words, the reality is far more intense than the symbol. If what the Bible says about hell is symbolic, then hell is even worse than we can even imagine. Others just deny the existence of hell They say that hell is just too cruel of a punishment and a loving God would not send anyone to hell. But let me tell you this, God does not send anyone to hell. They choose to go there. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But when you reject Christ, when you go through this life and not accept him as Savior, that is your choice. Well, the rich man was conscious He was conscious. We see him when he was alive, living it up. But when he dies, he is still conscious. He's still very much alive. He he is conscious man who is very aware of his surroundings. He is in some type of body where he can see folks around him. He, He sees Lazarus and he sees Abraham. And he can hear the screams and the suffering as they wait and curse and gnash their teeth. He can feel the torment, so he is conscious. Hell is spoken of in various scriptures. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. These are quotes of Jesus from the Bible. Destroy both soul and body in hell. 
is in danger of eternal damnation. The wrath of God abideth on him. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, where the fire is not quenched. And these are just all verses from the New Testament where Jesus said, but other verses in the Bible say about hell. Daniel 12.2 says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame in everlasting contempt. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Hell is a real place. But also in this passage, we can see that hell is a place of unsatisfied desires. Notice the man's desire. He has two requests. In verse 24, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You know, even though he's in hell, he still thinks he's a rich master and he can order people around. He says, uh, send Lazarus to do this for me. In verse, uh, that's in verse 24. He was thirst. He was at thirst. I believe that those in hell have their, have their sinful desires amplified. They were intensely thirsty. But those who are evil and wicked in life are going to be evil and wicked in death. And they will still have those cravings. Some will crave alcohol and, or drugs or anger or lust or murder. Or they will, they will never be satisfied. I think of uh, hell and I think of two theme songs that those in hell probably could sing. One is, I did it my way. <laughs> Frank Sinatra's song. And the other one is, is by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. Isn't that true? You do it your way, folks. That's what's going to happen. You go through life doing the best you can, doing what you think is right, and you ignore the Scriptures. That's what's going to be. And you will get no satisfaction. No matter the desire and the temptation, all that will still be there, and you'll not be able to satisfy it. Third, Hell is a place of constant torment. Verse 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, and now he's comforted, and you are tormented. What kind of torment? I think, first of all, we see the torment of punishment. Matthew 25 tells us that. Jesus was teaching. And listen to these words of the Lord Jesus in verse 41 and 46. Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal, eternal life. Last week, 
we were preaching on the prodigal son, and we saw a beautiful picture of a loving God with open arms. He paid the price to save us and plead with us to come home. But there is another picture, and this is the picture of a holy, righteous God who must punish sin. He is not a doting grandpa that that lets the kids get away with anything. God is perfect. He is holy. And because of that, his nature declares that he must punish sin. It's a torment of punishment. But it's also a torment of fire. For I am tormented in this flame. Charles Spurgeon said this, great preacher in English uh, time, century ago. There is a real fire in hell. As truly as you have a real body, a fire exactly like which we have on this earth, except this. It will not consume you, though it will torture you. You've seen asbestos lying amid the red-hot coals, but not consumed. So your body will be prepared by God in such a way that will burn forever without being consumed. With your nerves laid raw by searing flame, yet never desensitized for all its raging fury. And the acrid smoke of the sulfurous fumes searing your lungs and choking your breath. You will cry out for the mercy of death, but it shall never, never, no, never come, tormented in this flame. Folks, I know this is not modern teaching, but the fire of hell has not gone out. It's the torment also of thirst in verse 24. The rich man prayed for Water to cool his tongue. Yesterday, I, I went fishing on my kayak. And I went down Alligator Creek all the way to the entrance of the harbor from Punta Gorda. And I was coming back. And there was shade going out. But coming back, it was hot. I only brought one little bottle of tea with me. And by the time I was coming out, that 95-degree sun was full. And I couldn't... The, the engine on my kayak didn't start. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the paddles were getting a little bit. And I was going by that riverside uh, restaurant there, and I was pulling up to the... I couldn't get their attention because I was going to beg for a bottle of water. <laughs> but they were doing something else. And so I said, well, I can make it maybe uh, all the way. But just imagine being so thirsty. I was thirsty. But this man in hell was so thirsty, just allow Lazarus to dip his finger in water. You know, it makes me thirsty right now, just, just <laughs> talking about that. So just imagine if you could just dip the tip of your finger in water. The tip of your finger only holds about a drop and a half of water. That's not very much The man was tormented with thirst in that place called hell. The torment of thirst also is symbolic for not getting any satisfaction, as we said before. But also we notice the torment of memory. In verse 25, Abraham is speaking to this rich man. He said, son, remember, remember. And he could remember what his life was like, all of the the wonderful things that he had in this life. And, and you know, I, I, I wonder, what will people who are in hell remember? 
Maybe they'll remember the witness of one of their buddies at work that was trying to tell them about Jesus, trying to get them to accept Christ as their Savior. Perhaps they'll remember reading the track in the bathroom sometime in their life. Maybe they'll remember the prayers of their grandmother. Maybe they'll remember the example of their parents' godly life. Maybe they will remember their opportunities that they had for trusting Christ as their Savior. Friend, if you're here today and you die without Christ, you're going to remember, if you were here last week, the sermon about the loving Father with his arms open. Come home. Come home. And folks, in hell, you'll remember me pleading with you today. Don't go to that place. You don't have to. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, and you will never have to fear a place of eternal punishment at all. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a torment of memory, but it's also a torment of darkness. In Matthew 8, 12, Jesus said this about hell. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's the torment of outer darkness. There's also the torment of separation. Verse 26, it says... There is this great gulf fixed between us so that those who want to pass from here cannot and those that cannot from there pass to us. You will be separated. A lot of people think this, that if I go to hell, I'll be there with all my buddies and I'll enjoy the, the camaraderie there and all of that. No, you're, you're there all by yourself. There's nothing. You're alone. You're separated. You're not only separated from others, you're separated from God. God won't hear you there. You're, you don't have any chance. Separation from other believers, separation for all eternity. No escape, no parole, no purgatory, no such thing as a presidential pardon. Not, not even uh, the government, governor can pardon you. Hell is a place of torment. And finally, hell is a place of unchanging doom. The darkness, the remorse, the weeping, the wailing, the constant misery, no hope for all eternity. It was a place prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil and his angels are not there right now. They're loose. They're on the earth. But one day they will be consigned there. That's their abode. They will be there. It's a place for the beast and the false prophet. In Revelation 20.10, it says in verse 10, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And it is a place reserved for all those who do not trust Christ as Savior. I'd like to read the saddest verse in the entire Bible. Revelation 20.15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone. And the only way you can get your name written down in the book of life is to believe in Jesus Christ. Years ago, when I was 
pastoring and living in Iowa, I was driving an old car. I think it was a Chevy Citation. Remember those old little dinky cars? I just came up over a hill and the top of a hill and the accelerator stuck. Faster and faster I went over the hill. The landscape flashed by me at an increasing rate. It scared me to death. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. Finally, I just kicked the gas pedal, at a, with, gave it a frantic kick, and finally, it slowed down. Perhaps, my friend, you're headed down the road to hell, and your accelerator is stuck. You're trying to suck all the pleasure and fulfillment out of this life without giving no thought to your soul. I was 13 years old, went to a, a church that a friend of mine invited me to go to, and I was sitting in Sunday school class, and the teacher talked about hell. I did not want to go to that place. But she also told me about Jesus. She told me that I am a sinner. All of us are sinners. The Bible says, for there's none righteous, no, not one. And you need to understand that you are lost. That's the biggest problem with modern day people. They don't think that they're in trouble. They're going down the hill. The accelerator's stuck and they think they're doing fine. We, this is fun. But they don't know that at the end of their life, they have to face this eternal judgment. And that teacher said, you, ne- you need to believe that Jesus came to die on the cross to pay your debt of sin. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that all you have to do to escape hell and to enjoy salvation and eternal life is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans says in chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are alive today. But one day you will be dead. And after you die, you will continue to live on forever, either in heaven or in hell. That's why you need to come to the Lord while he's giving you that opportunity. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, I come to you today and I ask that your Holy Spirit would work on those who may not know you as Savior. Maybe they're not sure they're saved. I pray that God, that they would be warned of what Jesus told in this chapter of Scripture. There is a place of eternal punishment called hell that real people go and spend a real eternity. But Father, I would also pray that you would help us to see we don't have to go there. And I pray that, God, you would speak to hearts today. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I wonder, is there anyone today that say, I'm done with doing it my own way? 
I want today to believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Anyone like that, I want to tell you that God's arms are wide open and that you can believe. I'm going to pray that prayer that I prayed last week. Since the message is so clear, I pray that you would pray it with me. So if you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation and you want to do something about it and you want to call on the name of the Lord, I can help you do that. Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take my punishment, my eternal punishment. He died so that I do not have to spend one day in hell. I ask him to be my savior today to come in and forgive me of all my sin. I ask it in Jesus' name. Did anyone pray that prayer? Just raise your hand so I can rejoice with you and talk with you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone pray that prayer? Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, my friend. Oh, my friend. The most important decision of your life to choose Jesus or hell. May God speak to all of our hearts today and if I would love to talk to you more about it, so please be sure if you raised your hand, you would talk to me about making sure of that. Lord, thank you for this day. Continue to bless us now as we celebrate, celebrate being in Jesus Christ in our communion service. We pray in his name. Amen.